Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello, and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 362 in our weekly series. Um, as um, regular listeners will know, Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're raising awareness and running events through our area networks around the country and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups, developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. So do visit us at engageforsuccess.org to learn more and, of course, sign up for our weekly newsletter. I'm Jo Moffat. I'm one of the regular hosts of our radio show, and I'm founder and managing director of Woodread, a specialist creative agency who works with clients to help them use their brand as a catalyst for employee engagement. And today on Engage for Success Radio, we're going to be talking about the inclusive workplace. Um, so I'd like to welcome this week's special guest, Melissa Lamson. Melissa is CEO of Lamson Consulting, and uh, she's going to be helping us navigate um, a topic, a topic that is um, in very much um, of the moment and very timely. Uh, so welcome to the show, Melissa. Thanks so much, Joe. It's uh, good to have you. Um, I wonder if before we get into the topic, you can just give us a little bit um, of an overview of your, your own background professionally. Sure. Um, I have, uh, um, wow, an overview of my background is such a big question, but my, <laughs> I've been doing D&I or DEI, as we call it in the U.S. these days, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion work mm -hmm. for over 25 years. I have mm -hmm. a master's degree in something called intercultural relations. I specialize in diversity management, and I work with corporations and individuals and organizations to practice diversity, to think about how do we strategize and leverage diversity for the betterment of our organizations and also for, obviously, employee engagement. Right. Okay, lovely. Thank you. Um, yes, it was a bit of a tall order, isn't it, In um, when we've only got 30 minutes for the show <laughs> to uh, ask you to encompass a, a lifetime in, in, in that. But thank you for that. Um, and before we get um, directly into the meat of, of today's show, um, these two things are very much, um, I think, uh, themes that, that are very much key issues of our time, which are uh, uh, dealing with or being faced with the COVID-19 pandemic and also, of course, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, both of which have been key issues, um, both here, um, both where you are in the US and, and, and here in the UK um, over the last sort of few months. And, I, and they both, of course, impact on your areas of interest. So I wonder, have you got any observations to make about what you've seen over the last few months in those areas? The areas of COVID-19 mm, and, and how that's impacted and, and Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter, and particularly the latter. Yes. In terms of the, um, the DEI uh, agenda you're talking about. Yeah. Well, there, um, there are many, obviously there are many concerns in both situations, but it's um, two areas that are very personal to me because I have a biracial family and my, I'm also a woman. I find mm -hmm. it interesting that, um, or identify as a woman, I should say, I find it really interesting that COVID-19 is um, 
having a special impact on women. Um, as women, we tend to follow rules. We feel that it's important to um, um, pay attention to how, how COVID is impacting our communities and to take action in the right way um, mm-hmm. so that we can stop the spread of COVID. Then, of course, there's the impact of um, feeling responsible, whether we actually are responsible or not, primarily for child care, family care, uh, homeschooling. I think a lot of women take that on um, for, for multiple reasons and feel mm-hmm. responsible for it. And what I'm hearing through my client circles is that many of the men are going into the office, are, are spending time with um, other male leaders in powerful positions um, in the workplace or in um, outside of the home and are kind of continuing to talk about business and interact around that and building their visibility and brand where um, women are sort of staying behind the scenes. They're less visible. They're, they're um, having to balance sort of the emotional and the physical tolls of COVID. So um, I heard or, or read recently um, the term she session, and I think that that's very true. I think we're, we're having, this has really become, become really detrimental to women in general, and that's a particular passion of mine, and I'm, I'm working on that now on several projects. Um, mm-hmm. I think w- as far as Black Lives Matters goes, um, not I think I know, this is, this is a this is nothing new in terms of the level of murders and um, atrocities that are committed towards black and people and other people of color in the U S particularly. And we're not shocked in my family that these things are happening, but I sort of look at it a little bit like um, maybe having uh, acute back pain, right? So sometimes your back pain feels a bit better and other times it's really acute and it's awful and we're, and you're really suffering from it. And I feel like at this, at least at this moment, um, and these, these moments where we see and feel these tragedies, it's really acute. And that is, um, that has a positive effect in that it is, it is an instigator for change, and I see that more organizations and individuals are accepting the concept of systemic racism and willing to look at it and address it mm-hmm. um, and, and think about ways that we can truly make change in the organization and not just sort of do these one-off educational programs or these sort of check-the-box um, discussions yes. that are around racism and DEI. Um, yes. And so that's that's a positive effect, but yes, it's a really very serious time and mm. um, hopefully one that we can work to change. We, we can work through and, uh, yeah, and again, get some real lasting change as a result. So, and I think that, that point you made, it, it, it is one of the risks, isn't it? Both um, it, it, one of the risks is this, is this um, fear that people will go through a sort of checkbox exercise and, and, and the, the, they, they do things to be seen to do things um, in order to sort of meet some reporting requirement rather than actually um, making any lasting and sustainable change in this sort of infrastructure and this sort of intrinsic nature of, of, of organisations, which, which I guess leads us on to the topic of today, which is the inclusive workplace. And 
clearly both of those things you've, we've just been talking about contribute to that. But um, I think those of us who are listening, or those listening to the show, will will have read a little bit of the a little bit of the blurb about the show, and I, I will just refer to that with one of my with my opening question, Melissa, if you don't mind, because um, you 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 believe that we're getting it wrong um, as organisations that we're not going about. Um, diversity and inclusion or if you say diversity um, equality and inclusion we're going about it all wrong so I wonder if you could tell us why you believe that um, what is what is wrong about what we're doing in, in your view sure I mean DEI isn't even on the radar of many companies which I is just so fundamentally wrong we have to be thinking about it and we have to be thinking about it more broadly right so you know, what are personality styles, what are individual desires, needs, practices, habits that people bring to the workplace and uh, and feel are important to them from a values perspective and how do we integrate those, accommodate those, embrace those, celebrate them. And so it has to be on our radar, whether we look at it from the perspective of personality or culture or um, uh, d dimensions of diversity or discrimination, racism, all of that is, a, is, is part of um, DEI. And I mm -hmm. think, um, in fact, one of the terms that we're using here in the U.S., which I really like, which is, um, you know, equity and belonging. And I think that mm -hmm. really is what it's all about. And to your, I mean, you know this better than, than anyone in terms of your practice, but um, engagement is all about belonging. And so how do we create that sense of belonging in the organizations? And so we're just not moving the needle fast enough. Um, we're treating symptoms instead of root causes. So something blows up. And, and this is so interesting to me because it's so, it's, it's so counter to, um, to the, to, when you talk about the brand of diversity practitioners and HR folks and those who are typically tasked internally with um, doing something about uh, belonging and, and equity and inclusion. And it, it, it absolutely hurts their brand to be putting on these sort of programs and events that are just sort of treating the symptoms instead of the cause. It ends up not being beneficial to to their own work in DNI in the organization, it doesn't actually move the needle. It it absolutely hurts their own brand within the organization, and I don't even understand why any of these leaders are still doing it this way because it's um, it's completely ineffective. And then we're having the wrong conversations, and the right conversations are really more in depth about what is belonging look like and how do we how do we change change in our organization and how do we adopt behaviors that are inclusive instead mm -hmm. of um, talking about, you know, anti um, or unconscious bias, you know, and what is theoretically unconscious bias. I mean, it, it, this is a complete waste of time and isn't moving the needle at all in organizations. Okay. So what's What's wrong with unconscious bias then, Melissa? I mean, not, obviously we know what's wrong with unconscious bias, but what, what's, is, that, is, <laughs> right. is, that not, is that not trying to treat a root cause, though, trying to, un, you know, trying to um, stop that from being the case? Or are you, are you saying that actually it's, it is what it is, you can't change it? Well, we all know what it is by this at this point. I mean, if we don't, it could be useful to know what it is, right? It could be useful to learn 
okay, unconscious bias. Yes, we all have biases that are um, that we're unaware of, and of course, we have preferences in the way that we like to communicate, people we like to be around, um, how we like to express ourselves, and the, what makes us comfortable. And I think, but I mm-hmm. think that's tr- that. I, I'm assuming most of us know that, but you know, if if we don't, then certainly it's it's worth perhaps discussing. Mm-hmm. But the way that it's getting rolled out as programmatically in organizations still today is very theoretical. It's not really addressing how this, what the impact is on our actual organization or teams. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of food for thought and isn't this a big aha and isn't this interesting, but then nothing's really done with it. And so okay. it's, um, it's not something that, that really moves the needle at all, again, because mm-hmm. we're not talking about how to change. I see. And, so, so and, in other words, it, it's almost a little bit like it's almost does has the risk of becoming a tick box exercise because somebody can put on a report, um, you know, 85 percent right. of our people have been through unconscious bias training, almost like a kind of sheep dip that they've done it. So they can say they've met some numbers. Um, you know, 100 percent of our senior leaders have had had this training. Um, but it's it's more of a the objective is almost to meet the reporting need rather than change the way people really behave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're just far beyond aware. I think we're just far beyond awareness at this point. If we're mm-hmm. still focused on awareness training, it just, it, it just isn't what's moving the needle um, okay. and what's okay. making lasting change. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so that's the, that's the challenge then. We, we need to move beyond raising an awareness to start pushing action. Um, so, so tell us then in your view, Melissa, in your experience, what, what should we be doing differently? What should organizations be, be thinking about then if they, if they can recognize themselves in the picture you paint? Um, and even if they can't recognize themselves in the picture you paint, they probably, um, they probably should. So <laughs> what should they be doing differently? Right. Right. Well, I talk about it in my presentation, six wrong ways to practice diversity. And so I'll just quickly run through those and then I'll share what I'll answer your question. But um, I think celebrate celebrating diversity, fine, not necessarily useful, putting the focus on recruiting diverse candidates as opposed to retention and what does retention look like and why, what do we need to do to create an environment that would retain diverse candidates? Mm -hmm. diversity, marketing, and PR, executive messaging, all that stuff, like all the stuff we saw on LinkedIn and other platforms when um, the murder of George Floyd happened. And um, these were all, these are all just not really helpful. I mean, putting, putting out messaging is, is not something that's necessarily cascading a mindset throughout the organization. And so if we're going to focus on PR and marketing efforts, they need to be around how do we cascade this message down the ranks in our organizations and have those messages be touted and truly understood um, so that we're all practicing it, um, it, not only just reading it or saying it, or it's just not only the top level that's that's putting um, messaging or marketing out there on behalf Mm -hmm. of the organization. Um, so I think less focus on external messaging and much more on internal is a, is a key piece there. And mm-hmm. then 
I see this all the time that we're putting the onus on uh, ERGs, so employee resource groups or affinity groups. Um, maybe it's a diversity council or committee of some sort. To hey, could you guys go form this committee and fix this, right? Fix this hmm. problem. Or you're a member of this group, so you you know what to do. And that's absolutely completely counterintuitive to what the organization needs to do. I mean, the folks who are experiencing marginalization, discrimination, who do understand how this feels are exactly those who need to be protected and uplifted and supported and advocated for. And we need um, others in the organization to take to, to carry the load there. Um, mm -hmm. And so this is, this is just completely counter. And then um, I already mentioned about the training. So diversity training, if you do a 90-minute diversity training, this is going to do nothing. If you have a 90-minute conversation about mm. DEI and about what this means for your organization, that's going to be 100 times more impactful than a theoretical conversation about what is diversity and how can we be supportive of diversity and inclusion in our organization or have an external practitioner, for example, do a talk on that. Um, mm -hmm and sharing, sharing industry best practices or whatever. I mean, this is all just completely just talk talk. Um, mm -hmm. And then um, using internal resources only, I think, can be, um, can be also a mistake. I mean, allowing um, or put um, – I think this goes along with what I was saying. In terms of the brand and the image of those who are typically tasked with DEI, responsibility it is just isn't um, it isn't always useful to to rely on them because they have an agenda a they're trying to keep their job they're trying to make the executives happy they're trying to make employees happy there's a whole bunch of political stuff there and you're not going to be able to get to the core of what's really needed um, using solely internal resources unless you already have an environment that's really conducive to inclusion, and in which case, if you do, you may not need to necessarily be doing the work. Um, yes. Although personally, I haven't really seen organizations that do it well. So, bottom line is, I feel like you need to have, you need to rock the boat. You need to be get comfortable with having an uncomfortable conversation, and you need an excellent facilitator, whether that's internal or external. I always advocate for external, not because it's self-serving, but because that person doesn't have a real stake in the game. The worst that can happen yeah. is they don't get asked back. Right. So <laughs> we all have plenty absolutely. of work right now, so none of us are that upset about it. Um, <laughs> so, um, but um, you know, to have a real conversation. How does this look like? How do people feel? What is causing pain? What is not working? Mm -hmm. You know, why is it? Why? I mean, the most astounding thing to me is I have male executives come to me and say, "Okay, so the women in our organization would like some sort of a workshop. We've decided we're going to expand it to have." men and women talk about gender in the workplace and what this means for us. And, you know, by the way, the women have their own group and they meet monthly. And so this is obviously important to them. And I go, okay, great. Have you asked them why they meet monthly and why this is important to them? And I, 10 out of 10 times they say, um, well, not really. I guess we should do that. Um, yes, <laughs> you should. Yeah. Because yeah. why is it that women are meeting monthly in your organization? Well, there's clearly an issue. They wouldn't be meeting monthly as women in your organization if there wasn't, <laughs> right? Mm. So mm -hmm. it's it's that. It, it, it just astounds me that we're just not digging into those conversations. Like, why do we even need employee resource groups? Why do we have affinity, uh, for, uh, affinity groups? Why do we have a diversity committee? 
why aren't executives asking that question? Um, it's almost like, well, it's a given. Every organization has that, so we should have one of those too. Well, why, why do every organization have one of those? Or why is that important? Mm. Um, that alone will already give you so much fodder for conversation um, and impetus for change. Right, right. So it strikes me that at the heart of everything you're saying is we need to move beyond talk and move into action, but action that is based on understanding. So the talk, the talk in terms of just sort of talking and being seen to act is this sort of one extreme and really listening and having proper rich conversations, which then inform change and inform our thinking is the mm-hmm. other extreme and the right way. Does that, if, if, have I got that? Have I grasped that okay? Yes, absolutely. Yes, mm. exactly. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, so what we should be doing differently then is to, is to, um, if we, if we take that approach, what, what might that look like in practice, Melissa? I, it, it's pretty simple. I think you have to create space to have conversations about what does it feel like to work here? Mm-hmm. Who, are, who are we? How do we represent diversity already? What is important to us about equity and belonging? Um, what does that concretely look like? Is it atmospheric? Is it physical space? Is it messaging? Is it the way that we hold conversations with each other? Is it eye contact or lack of eye contact? Um, what are all the behaviors and words um, that we that makes us feel like we're an organization that is inclusive, and what doesn't? And it may not mean that we have every. And I'm not suggesting everyone has to change their behavior dramatically, or that there has to be an overhaul. But we have to at least understand where people come from, in terms of how they prefer to behave and function and think, and then make space for that and have patience for that, um, and then maybe agree on some some standards or some some ways that we want to move forward to to make it even more um, more. Um, uh, diverse and inclusive of that mm-hmm. diversity. Okay. Yeah. So is there a risk, I mean, coming back to what we were saying at the very beginning about COVID-19 and, um, for, for example, um, and um, women particularly, is, is there a risk that as many businesses and organizations continue to work in a kind of dispersed way with their, with a large proportion, if not all of their workforces working from home or, only having a small number in the office and different, you know, different dynamics going on, these sort of hybrid workplaces that we're talking about. Is there a risk that many, much of the sort of bad, in inverted commas, bad practice and things that are counter to a positive DEI culture are actually just, are actually going to be able to carry on because they're going to be invisible and it would be that obvious because they're so dispersed. Is that a danger? 
Um, yes. I, I, yes. Um, I think the danger, too, with COVID is the, at least particularly in the U.S., and I when I talk to international sources, they say they do feel it a bit elsewhere as well. But particularly here, um, I think, well, I know people feel incredibly insecure and concerned about their future and financially and health-wise and well-being and all of the above. And so it's creating an incredible amount of self-centeredness and what's in it for me and how, how do I get what I want out of this and so instead of thinking like how do we take care of our society and heal as a community and and I know this sounds a little bit woo woo but it's like mm-hmm. if we start to think about how to do things for everybody we're all going to win um instead of being you know more protective and scarcity mindset sort of thought process yeah. all of that con- is what contributes to to intentional exclusion, um, and that and that is troubling. I think that's mm. even more troubling. It's not only mm. so much the, the the structure. I think it's more the mindset, mm. and at least here in the states. And and so I get I'm really concerned about that. And so I feel like um, I feel like especially I only know that that most of the women that I talk to, we, we have a mindset that, that sort of naturally thinks a little bit beyond ourselves. And I know many of us are, are thinking about how do I make a bigger impact? How do we create a better life and a better world? Um, how do we uh, eradicate this, you know, COVID stuff, get through it and move on and become a, a, a prosperous society again mm-hmm. um, or, or prosperous world for that matter? And I think it requires us to be, as women, to be more visible, to be more um, engaged, to think in terms of where can we step up and lead. And so instead of focusing, instead of getting concerned about scarcity or insecurity um, in our own bubbles, as much as we possibly can start to think bigger, right, and what's the impact that we can make long term, I would you know, throw the gauntlet down and suggest that we try to do that. And I, I have a lot of faith and hope that women, women will do that. I hope men will come along too. Um, and I would love for them to be part of that as well. Uh, but, but I think right now it's an opportunity for women to, to take the lead there. Right. Right. Interesting. So are there any, are there any, I mean, you, you've talked about how a lot of organizations aren't really doing this right. Um, they're still stuck at the, at the sort of um, other end of the dial in terms of, you know, um, talking and putting out messages and, but not actually fundamentally changing how and understanding what they're doing. Are there any, are there any great beacons? Are there any great shining lights of best practice out there? People that you think actually they do get this, they are doing it right. Or is it a fairly bleak picture? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that those who are, I, I honestly, the ones that we don't hear about um, are often the ones that are making the biggest impact. Um, for example, one of my clients, IKEA, they are incredible at 
holding rich conversations internally, at spreading the word of inclusion and supporting diversity, and no one ever hears about it, like what they're doing from their diversity and inclusion strategy. And it's brilliant um, what they've managed to achieve globally there. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are other organizations, um, you know, Salesforce has done an incredible job um, just really diving in and acknowledging where they have pain and where that exists and really wanting to take action on how to, to deal with that, particularly as it applies to gender equality um, Mm -hmm. with sort of looking at pay equalization and so forth. And so, you know, there are companies that are out there really, um, working on this, some more public than others, but I honestly mm-hmm. believe that those who are not public and they're just focused on, you know, getting it done are yes. those that are really making the difference. Interesting. And it's, yes. all, it's all about having the conversations and yeah. doing the hard work. Right, right. So we've got just over a minute left, Melissa. If there was one thing that you would like listeners to take away from this, um, uh, apart from what you were saying before about, you know, there's an opportunity for us to step up and actually make a difference. What what would that one thing be that we need to actively have conversations yes. and actually work hard at this? Yes. As leaders, we need to be vulnerable and we need to act like anthropologists. We have mm-hmm. to go where we don't feel comfortable and we don't understand and we have to ask questions and listen and do Mm -hmm. our best to understand why does it look like this why do people feel this way why is engagement low why is retention difficult what is happening with teens right now why are they upset why are they happy um what makes what makes them tick okay so it is it is step outside of your comfort zone into a world where you you don't know the answers and make it your business to find them out and, and start having those awkward conversations, those uncomfortable conversations. Okay. That's great. Right. Lovely. Well, Melissa Lamson, CEO of Lamson Consulting, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the inclusive workplace. Thank you for listening to Engage for Success Radio. We'll see you at the same time next week. And don't forget, you can download or stream any of the great shows from our archive. So thank you very much. Uh, goodbye. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.